0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. We're continuing on in confident faith. Actually, next week is, you know what next week is? Pentecost, very very exciting. So I've been uh, keeping this focus in my own personal devotions from just before Easter till now, kind of following that progression, right? Of of Passion Week, and then moving through, you know, death, resurrection, um, and then preparing the disciples. Speaking of the kingdom of God, which is incredible. That could be a message in and of itself. And then the ascension, and then telling them to wait in the upper room, and they were they were supposed to wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the promised. Coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be focusing lots on that next week, uh, but today we're going to kind of prepare the ground for that uh, because there's lots that we have to get onto. And in fact, oh, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So well, <laughs> this is not in my message, but I'm going to go here anyways because it's going to give context for why it's so important for what we're talking about today and what we've been talking about with confident faith. And we talk worldviews and talking about right doctrine and right thinking and why does it matter? Uh, I think three weeks ago I said one of the dangerous lies that I hear out there is people saying, just believe in Jesus. That's all that matters. Just believe in Jesus. I want to combat that with Scripture right now before I actually get into my message. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Where am I? Here we go. Sorry, it's not in the message, but it's here in the Bible. (laughs) Here he's saying, um, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, Your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let that sink in. Paul's writing to the believers at Corinthians who have sincere and pure devotion to Christ, and he's saying that he fears that they are going to be deceived like Eve was by the cunning and craftiness of the devil's schemes. He goes on to say if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, there's three categories in which he he saw danger. Another Jesus... A different spirit, like a Holy Spirit, or a different gospel? He said all three could shipwreck their faith. And uh, I'll, I'll skip forward. There's a whole bunch on there. And then he talks lots about false apostles and deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, no wonder, for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Many of you know that. And then he goes on to say, and then it's no surprise then if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But you will know them by their deeds. The deeds are important. And then he goes on, if you turn your page, well, you're not turning your page, I'm turning my page, skipping a bunch of 11 and 12, so he goes on to continue talking about all the sufferings that he's, like everything he's lost for the sake of the gospel and how it's worth it, and he's going through that list, and he's talking about how he's boasting in his weaknesses because God's power is shown through that, and then we get to, to final warnings, and look what Paul says, because if you would ever have someone who is absolutely confident, we're talking about confident faith, Right? If you had someone that was absolutely confident in their faith, I'm sure it was the Apostle Paul. Like, I'm sure he never doubted his faith. Look what he says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. The Apostle Paul encouraged the whole church and himself to test themselves to see if they remained in the faith. He didn't say test yourselves to see if you said a prayer. He said test yourselves to see if you remained in the faith. And if we had time, it'll be another message. It's coming up later. But uh, there's a whole bunch of the great falling away that's coming, and we're already seeing little bits of it, but there is a great falling away that happens. And you can't fall away if you weren't there to begin with. And scripture is very clear, and you know, we talk about these kind of things, and mostly in the West, it seems like these other doctrines have creeped in, and people say, No, 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 no. that now you're saying works. You're arguing with the Bible. Anyways, can you see why this matters? False Jesus', false spirit, false gospel can lead you astray. Do you know if you put your hope in the wrong things, you can be sapped of any strength? And we're going to talk about hope today. Sapped of any strength that could have been in you to endure. Do you think that's going to matter as we, as we face tribulation? And I'm not talking just the great tribulation. John 16.33 says, in this world you will have tribulation. See, it matters where we place our focus. It matters where we focus our hope, it matters what we believe, and it really matters how we respond to that. Yet citizenship in heaven is free. But if you want that citizenship, then we have to abide by the values and rules of our king and his kingdom. It's a wonderful thing. All right, okay, let's talk about hope now. That's cheery, right? I'm gonna skip through that, because I took time. That that was just review anyhow. Confident faith and hope. So, what have you placed your hope in? Just think about that. Do you have hope? With the rising numbers of mental health, I would say there's more and more people that are losing hope. Why is that? Why are we losing hope? You know, hope is a very powerful thing. You know, studies have actually shown that hope, having hope in your life will literally cause you to live longer. You'll be more resistant to disease, like physically. On the physical side, you will live longer, you'll heal faster, your immune system is stronger, simply by having hope. And the, and the converse, sadly, is true as well. Losing hope, not only can losing hope in its, in its ultimate form, hopelessness leads to things like suicide, which is tragic, an awful an awful end, it's total tragedy, but Even before that, mortality rates spike. Immunity goes down. There's all sorts of ways in which it affects you. And we're just talking about the physical sides. Let alone the emotional damage and toll that it takes on your relationships, on your own personal self and those around you. It totally affects us. Hope is an incredible thing. But what happens when we have misplaced hope? Is that even such a thing? I mean, what is hope anyways, right? Hope is a future expectation and a positive result. It's really what it is, right? That's what hope is. It's a future expectation and a positive result. And we have hope in all sorts of things, but there's different kinds of hope, and I'm gonna get, get to that in a moment, but what if we have misplaced hope? I mean, we hope in all sorts of things. Like, if you're having marriage troubles, maybe you're thinking right now, maybe you're sitting here today thinking, if this doesn't get fixed, I just don't know how I'm gonna keep going on. And I'm not saying, by the way, that that's bad to hope in your marriage of being restored. I'm just saying there's all sorts of things we hope in. An addict. I've heard people say this many times. I'll quit after I just have one more time, right? I mean, I'll just finish this bottle. I'll finish this pack. I'll finish blank. I'll quit tomorrow. Isn't that what you hear people saying? And by people, I mean myself, because I've been an addict, so I actually understand that one. (laughs) Right? Right? been there, done that, tried that, it doesn't work. Tomorrow never comes because tomorrow's always tomorrow. Today's always today. You can't make your decisions for tomorrow. You can only make your decision right now, what you're going to do right now. You can set hopes in tomorrow. That's different. Anxiety and depression. I mean, if I can just change my circumstances, if I can just fix this, like, I just, something's got to give, something's got to change. If, if this circumstance can change, then I will have peace. Then I'll be okay. If this health issue will go away, then I can be okay. Then things will go back to normal. If so-and-so will stop treating me this way, if they will own their side, then I can, then I can forgive. Then I can be okay. We put our hope in these things. Now we see, tragically, we see kids are being encouraged when they're in hopelessness or struggling with mental health that maybe the hope is in changing their gender. If you change your gender, if you take hormone therapy, if you, if you have life, life-changing, altering permanent surgeries, then you're going to be okay. Then you'll find out who you are. Then you'll be, you'll be able to feel happy on the inside. Obviously, some of the things we're talking about are bad to hope in. Some of them aren't entirely bad, but it all depends on which level of where you place that hope. And obviously we look at healthcare reform, social reform, financial reform, right? All these things. I mean, if this would change, then we, then we could have, we're basically looking for a kingdom of heaven on earth right now. You know, look at look at Corinthians says here. It says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Look at that. So whether you're hoping in something bad or good, if If all your hope is in just the things you can see in the here and now, you are of most to be pitied, is what Scripture teaches. You know, in this life, everything we hope in eventually breaks, dies, or leaves. It's not true. You can have the best marriage. Maybe you're hoping in your marriage being fixed and then you'll be okay. You can have the best marriage and you'll still get sick. And you'll, you'll still pass away. You'll, your spouse will still, you'll, you'll, you'll suffer loss in the end. Even the best things we have in this life are marred by sin, death, or evil. Henry Newman writes this, Our life is, short, is a short time in expectation, a time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There is a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our lives. It seems that there is no such thing as a clear-cut, pure joy, but that even the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there is an awareness of limitation. In every success, there is the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, there is distance. In all forms of light, there is the knowledge of surrounding darkness. He puts it a lot more eloquently than me. <laughs> I don't think that way or write that way. Ecclesiastes. Let's go there. Let's go back to Scripture. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You're putting your hope in your work. What do you gain with all the toil at which you toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. For the most part, 99% of people on the earth, unless you do something amazingly good or amazingly bad, you'll be forgotten in this life. That's why he came to the conclusion that everything is meaningless, (laughs) right? Fear God and keep his commands. He's like, that's really what it boils down to, but that's not what we're getting at right now. The earth remains forever, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again, and all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Isn't that the truth? I was talking about this with one of my friends the other day, how, how it doesn't matter what you have, Like, it's just never quite enough. You <laughs> Ever notice that? Like, it doesn't matter. I was, I was reflecting on when I, when I was making, you know, half the wage. You know, you're starting off in the workforce, you're making half of what you're making when you get a little older. And, and I was thinking about where I was at then and the appetite I had inside. And I realized something. It hasn't changed. How's that possible? You know, I would have told myself 20 years ago that if I just made 5000 more, 10000 more a year, then, <laughs> right, think of all the happiness you'd have. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Ecclesiastes, you know, our world is a broken place. There are wars, there are natural disasters, our governments are broken. But the problem is deeper than that. We've talked lots about this recently. We are broken. We are broken, and I'm not saying there isn't anything to have joy and and peace, and there isn't anything to enjoy in this world, there's lots to enjoy. There totally is, but we have to be careful where our hope is placed in. When we hope in the wrong things, we set ourselves up for disappointment, which leads to hopelessness, and at very, very worst, if our hope is dashed and we lead to hopelessness, did you know that hopelessness can even lead us away from Jesus? False hope can lead you away from your savior and king, But we lose our ability to endure, to persevere, we lose strength for the day, we rob ourselves of joy, peace, love in the moment, and like I said, worst case, misplaced hope or false hope can lead us away from our King. So let's compare two things. I'm not saying that hope and anxiety are exact opposites, they're not dichotomies in that sense, but there are lots of similarities, there are, and I'm not saying that you don't have hope in Jesus if you have anxiety, I've had anxiety, I know what it's like, however, Both of them are, there's a lot of similarities. Both of them are future-oriented on an unknown expectation or or an expectation. One is a fearful expectation of what's to come. That's anxiety. Often grounded in our inadequacy to change outcomes. We have no control. You can't do anything. So we have a fearful expectation of what's to come. Hope in its most basic form is a positive expectation in the future. I'm expecting something good to happen or I want something good to happen. Christian hope, then, is is positive expectation grounded in the supremacy and sovereignty of God Almighty, knowing that he is not only a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. That is what Christian hope is supposed to be. Now, what we place our hope in matters a lot, and I hope you're getting that already. Misplaced hope will lead to hopelessness, which literally can kill you from the inside out. So let's look at three kinds of hope. And I took this, by the way, from uh, the three types of hope I shamelessly stole from John Eldridge on his book, All Things New. So, so if, you're, if you've read that and wondered, I've seen this before. That's because it's not original. Like uh, Ecclesiastes says, nothing is new under the sun. You'll learn that about me. I just take, I borrow from everywhere that I'm reading and learning. So let's look at three types of hope, and I really love this point on this. First kind, casual hope. So there's casual hope, precious hope, ultimate hope. And I like the way he delineated these three because it really helps you kind of understand the difference. The casual hope is like, I hope this coffee's good this morning, right? Can I get an amen? Like, anyone feel that hope this morning? By <laughs> yeah, the there's a bunch of you. I'm, I'm surprised actually that there wasn't as many hands up as I thought. I thought there'd be some double handers, <laughs> right? Because we put a lot of hope in that. How am I gonna get out of bed without a good cup of joe, right, hun? <laughs> My wife, yeah. Anyways, but you can also hope that your team wins a championship. You know, uh, years ago, was 2000, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. I will anyways. 2007, the Patriots went undefeated and went, <laughs> okay, okay <shh. laughs> quiet, quiet all of you. <laughs> this is a sore spot still in my heart. They went undefeated, and I remember me and my brother arguing because I was still kind of new in the whole faith and new to football-ish. I was only four years in. And I'm like, we're going to go undefeated. And he's like, that never happens. And I'm like, it's going to happen. And with with each game, we kept winning. And and I was like getting more and more involved. And I actually didn't even realize how much emotional investment I had made until they lost. Because they lost. And it's like a wave washed over this huge weight was released. Because I had so much hope in this. Like I just had to see this like perfect season. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be Right. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but do you know that there's people that have actually committed suicide over their teams losing? Is that misplaced hope? You see, we need hope. All of you need hope. I need hope. You need hope. Hope is one of those fuels that God has given us. It moves us. It inspires. It motivates. It totally does. Precious hope is a little different. I hope this pregnancy turns out. You can see it's weightier than the coffee being good, right? I mean, a precious hope is something that, if that doesn't turn out good, the, the CT scan comes back, you have cancer, it's metastasized. That, that's a harder one to deal with, isn't it, right? If you're let down in that hope, that's a harder one to deal with. But, but Christian in here, I'm telling you, that's still not your ultimate hope. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick or healthy, whether we face peace in this lifetime or tribulation, we are supposed to be creatures of hope, and our hope should be in something much higher. Ultimate hope is the hope, things like, we know Jesus will forgive me, but I'm writing it in a way that we'll understand. I hope Jesus will forgive me for this, and he will. We can actually hope in that. Because he's not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And he promises that if you confess your sins and turn from them, he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from the unrighteousness. We have that hope because of the blood of Jesus. He's also promised that he will come back and he will make all things new. Not only will he make all things new, he is going to come back. He is going to judge the living and the dead. He is going to make war on those who rejected him. War. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's not just Old Testament. Not, I mean, that would be enough, but it's New Testament. Read your, read your Bibles. It's all throughout there. He is coming back physically, coming down from the third heavens. He's coming down physically onto the earth to establish a kingdom, and he will first vanquish his enemies, then he will judge the living and the dead. And a new Jerusalem comes down. I wish we had time to spend on that. A new heaven and a new earth. It's renewed. And we're going to have new bodies. That's what we can hope in. Ultimate hope is our life and death hopes. In the sense of if it doesn't happen, I cannot keep going. I've put all my eggs in my ultimate hope. i got nothing else. Ultimate hope determines what we live for, and that's why it matters what you put in that category. And I think too many people are plagued by, by, well, not just anxiety, but what about hopelessness and despair because they have put the wrong hopes in the wrong categories. We are putting our dreams for this lifetime in our ultimate hope category. We are putting our favorite sport team as an ultimate hope. We are putting our health as an ultimate hope. We are putting our kids as an ultimate hope. Those aren't ultimate hopes. They may be precious hopes. Some of them are even casual hopes. Ecclesiastes 3.11, He made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Ecclesiastes says eternity is on our heart. We are supposed to hope in eternity. See, hope is future-oriented. So we need to be able to look far enough in the future to see where that hope is supposed to be set on, something that's unshakable. We're gonna get on to how we do that in a little bit. So we get in trouble when we place our hope in the wrong categories, like we've already covered that. So uh, we, have, we require hope to live, we die without it. So my question again for each one of us today, and this is also for me, I was doing a lot of self-examination this morning. It's testing my own faith. Where is your hope? What have you placed your ultimate hope in? Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how to know that. How do I know that? What are you living for? What do you dream about what motivates you what drives you what do you need in your life in order to be okay what about little things like our inability to forgive what does that tell me About where my hope is I mean if my hope is in Jesus and he says to forgive and I'm like well I'm just following whatever he says I'm letting go of that See our inability to follow through on the things that God has clearly commanded in His Word. Show you that you've probably placed the wrong thing in the wrong category for your hope. We need to regularly assess our hearts, like Paul says. We should just following the Bible. Test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Test ourselves. Because if we don't have hope, we won't have strength to endure tribulation. And we will put ourselves and those, as Pastor Ray says, that are hanging off of our nail, at risk. There's too much at stake. Romans 8, 24 to 25. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he has seen? What is that on the screen? Sorry. I don't get distracted easily. (laughs) What are you talking about? Who's preaching? Okay. Uh, Starting over. I'm not going to look at that. For in this hope we are saved, not hope that is. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see already there? Look at that. He's warning us don't hope in the things that you see, don't hope in the present. Like some of the Gospels, some of these demonic doctrines that are out there are leading people astray. Things like prosperity gospel. You know what it tells you? It tells you that the kingdom of heaven is now. And there is a, a truth. There's a now, not yes. Yes, it's coming in to our, into our world now. But it's not yet. There's still brokenness. There is no promise in the Bible, in this book, that says in this world you will have no trouble. In this, in this world you will feel happy all the time. But those doctrines, they lead us to believe silly and dangerous things like that. And then the moment something happens, the moment you get a cancer diagnosis, you're ready to just walk away on your faith and you're bitter at God, and yet His Word has told us the truth all along. Getting fired up. Whatever we don't get through this week, we'll just go to the next week. We're good, though, for time. So, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's what hope does. Look what you live for. Look what you spend your money on. That's an example of someone whose hope is in Jesus, in the kingdom, in what's to come. That's what it looks like. In their joy, they sell everything. Hope is the fuel that leads us to, get, to let go of the things in this world. To sell everything, it is the thing that will cause you to do crazy things like lay down your life. So, what do we put our hope in? Well, hope in Jesus is the easy answer, right? We all know that. Hope in Jesus. What does that actually mean, hope in Jesus? Well, Scripture actually tells us what to put our hope in. You know, it's not just Jesus in the sense of, just say Jesus and just believe that's good enough. It actually gives us specifics of things that, will, that, will, that we're supposed to hope in that will give us strength to endure Now. So yes, Jesus, absolutely yes. Hope in Jesus, what he's already done. That's part of the gospel. It's not the whole gospel. We're supposed to hope in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the unseen kingdom, but it's real, and it's coming to invade earth. It'll be here physically. We're supposed to hope in that. That's what I just said in Matthew, right? Or that's what I didn't say. That's what Jesus said. And we're supposed to hope in the restoration of all things. Let's, let's go back to those verses. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. Look, the kingdom of heaven. So when we hope in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this earth, it causes us to do wild things like let go of everything else in this life and hold on to what's coming in the next. For wherever, Jesus said earlier in Matthew 5, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. So it matters where your treasure is. Don't put your treasure in the things that, that the moth can destroy, that the rust will destroy, that thieves can break in and steal. That's Jesus' instruction. Romans 8 talks about restoration. We eagerly await for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. You know, I was getting ready to come up here and preach, and I was just thinking, yesterday I did some yard work, and I'm waiting for a thing on my sho-. Anyways, my shoulder and my knee are just aching. Like, it's just aching, and I just thought, you know what? i Here's the thing. Now you might say, oh, let's pray for healing. And I, I do actually pray for healing. You know what I love about the fact that my body hurts? It reminds me constantly that I'm not, I'm not living for today. And please, those who are praying for my body, please keep doing so. <laughs> so I, I do still want to function in this, in this world so I can get done the work that I have to do and, and have fun with my family. However, I don't despise it. My hope's not in me feeling better. I fully recognize that the Lord has used things like physical pain, emotional pain, trials and circumstances in my life to keep me on my knees. And for that reason, I am grateful. And often when I pray for him, I have what I call give me a bone prayers. (laughs) Throw me a bone, Lord. Just give me. Sometimes, you know, it feels like there's (laughs) my prayer partners. I have two of them sitting here. They'll know. Like it feels like there's problems on every aspect. Then you're like, Lord, just throw me a little bone. Like I don't need a whole steak, just a bone for today. That's all I need. And he's faithful to give me a bone. He is. And often it's in the form of an encouragement from someone else or it's in the form of I feel his abiding presence near. Rarely is it in the, in the form of him changing all my circumstances. Uh, but that's okay. He's more than enough. First Peter, let's go to another passage of Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There we go. Living hope. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So We're talking now salvation, putting our hope on Jesus. To an inheritance that is imperishable, future-oriented again. Not, not an inheritance that you'll get right now in this world to live your best life now. That's not what it says. That's not where the hope is. Undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who's by God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, let this sink in. You have been grieved by various trials. Are you sitting here today and feel the grieving in your heart because even what is joyful in your life, there is, it's kissed, like Henry Newman writes, by sadness and grief and loss. Maybe you're going through a hard diagnosis or a hard struggle in your marriage or with your kids or with your parents. could go both ways. I'm always looking down, but I guess they look up, right? Maybe it's with an extended family member. I don't know what it is. Maybe you feel grieved by the trials. Maybe it's loss of a job. You're not sure where you're going. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you struggle with so much despair inside. There's depression and it's just hard to even get out of bed. You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The hope is not in this world, it's the next one. And it's not a fluffy cloud thing that we're going to sit on with harps. I don't even think I did that right. I think that's more violin. I don't know. I'm not a musician, okay? (laughs) I'm a preacher. (laughs) Anyways, it's a real earth. A real heavens merging together. Refined and bathed with fire, having all the impurities washed out. The only reason we're going to survive it is because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If indeed you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, all creation will go through fire. Some for an eternal life with him, purified, and others to eternal destruction. That should motivate us to live for him and to bring as many people there as possible. Hmm. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's hope. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Christian hope is supposed to be fixed on Jesus, but not just Jesus in the sense of like, yes, Jesus. (laughs) But sometimes I think we get so stuck on like Jesus and the cross. Don't walk out. Hear me out here, okay? Everything, like the cross opened up a huge door for us. Without the cross, there is no defeat of Satan. There is no defeat of sin, and we are still dead in our sins. Amen? But the culmination of what we're made for wasn't just to not be dead in our sins now. That's then it happened. That's part of the gospel. It always has to be core as a part of the gospel. But our hope is not just fixed on what he did, it's fixed also on what he's coming to do. Like, read your Old Testament prophets and the New Testament and they will talk, yes, absolutely, it is prophesied in the Old Testament, the coming of the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, absolutely, read Isaiah, it's right in there, it is so clear, such a proof of God, but then look how much Daniel, Zechariah is focused on not the first coming, but the second coming, which is what the Jews thought the first coming was supposed to be, <laughs> they miss that, that's okay, we miss, <laughs> I miss lots of stuff all the time, right, we all miss stuff. But most of the Bible is pointing towards the grand finale, what's coming. That's where the hope is. It's unshakable, and, and we get so stuck because it's like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm still struggling with sin, and I'm still struggling, and oh, I thought everything was supposed to be perfect. That's not the gospel. That was part of it. You gave your life to Jesus, so he cleansed you from your unrighteousness, yes. And now you can receive salvation by, gra- like, uh, by, by faith. It's a grace gift through faith, yes. But you're saved for something else. Now, your hope is supposed to be in the future. When He comes back, that's when all the sin nature will be gone, if you remain in the faith. So, we fix our hope on Jesus, His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and the restoration of all things. That's the hope. One day, no more tears. One day, no more brokenness. No more pain. One day we'll see the actual fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. You know, you read that and you're like, oh, we're in the new covenant. I'm like, new heart, new spirit, desire to obey. I'm like, but I still sin. Are you longing for the day? Like, are you in here and you just want to be able to worship Him and love Him and obey everything He asks without this plague of sin in your life? That day's coming. And we're getting closer and closer and closer. So, this is why Jesus proclaimed, repent because I'm dying for your sins. No, that's not what he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is coming. That kingdom coming here. Repent now. That's what he said. So, We've been talking biblical worldview, and we've just barely started scratching the surface. We're going to get into this a lot more. I'm kind of laying more foundations in this message, right? Uh, we're going to talk about it more. But biblical worldview actually talks more than just the past. It actually talks past, present, and future. But a lot of what we talk about with the biblical worldview is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But how, what you believe about that, especially when you start in the past, really influences your eschatology. That's your future. Death, judgment, eternity, what's going to happen in the end? How you answer those first two, like, you know, how did we get here? Why are we here? What are we here for? What's the problem with, man, like, with the world? How are we going to solve it? And where are we headed? How you answer those, not just up here, but in here, will determine what you do today. Not just about what you say. Salvation isn't about what you say. Jesus, like, Have you read the parables? By the way. Read all the parables this summer. I think every time I preach, I tell you to read something in the summer, eh? Eh, yeah, whatever. That's okay. Read the parables. You know what most of them will tell you? Give you examples of, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, and he will say, go away, I didn't know you. That should strike fear in us. Then you're like, oh, now I feel terror. Well, then go and do what Paul said. Go and examine yourself to see if you're still in the faith. Anyways, actions and attitude present, what we live for now and how we respond to God. We're supposed to be living for the kingdom. That's what he says. Seek ye first the kingdom. Now, let's talk. Neat little graphic. Oh, they made it cute. Look at that. I didn't have the yellow one there. Martin helped me with this. And that handout, Chris and Jocelyn helped us. So I'm just happy to have an awesome team around me. Okay, so... Um, here we go. This is God's grand story. We're talking a little bit about worldview, eschatology, where we are, how we're handling in the moment. Okay, our problem is, like, you kind of see the, the red where it says now? All right, if you don't understand the creation fall part and the redemption, you're not actually going to respond right in the now. So you have to see, like, this is God's grand story, and Pastor Ray actually started us out on this, I think, two years ago now? Is it two years, Dad? I don't know. It's got to be somewhere on there. I'm bad at time. Anyways, he started out on there, but that grand story, you're trying to fit it in, it, it so matters that you understand the story that you're in. Because the West is very individualistic. We're, all, we're, we're secularists, okay? We're individualistic, and we think it's Stefan's grand story. It's my grand story. What am I going to do? No, 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 no. It's God's grand story. It's all about him, it always has been. You have to get that. And whether you get it or not, you'll be accountable for it when you stand before him, and everyone stands before him. Anyways, so creation, it matters. He created it all. Fall matters. Redemption started right in Genesis 13, or Genesis 3:15. That's already when the plan of, of, of salvation was already prophesied, looking forward. And then you have all the promises and the covenants. Happening, and then you see Jesus comes down. You'll see an arrow. He comes down in bodily form, right, born of of the Virgin Mary of the Holy Spirit, and then he dies on the cross and he ascends back into heaven, only to send the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus on more of that next week, and we'll talk about the uh, early rains and the latter rains, because we're about ready for the latter rains. Amen. The second outpouring. I I think I, I think I'm ready for it. But anyways, we're right towards the end. You know that restoration and the second coming is coming. When you look at the things, we don't have time to go through it all today. But when you look at what is left that has to happen before Jesus returns, the, the list is small, and it could happen in very short order. Don't wait till tomorrow to figure out where you're going to put your hope. Why would you risk everything for that? Why risk it for a life that's fleeting? We got a better one coming. And it's coming here. We're going to get to live on that earth forever. New heavens and new earth under the lordship of King Jesus. You excited for that? Yeah. Think about it. I was, okay, I shouldn't tell you what I was dreaming about. Maybe I will. <laughs> I was dreaming about what it would be like to ride a tiger. Is that weird? Are you surprised it's a large cat? Whatever. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, but I actually, I mean, that's a weird thing to do in worship, right? But I was actually trying to imagine what that would be like. What it's going to be like. I wonder what the creation is going to look like when you take out sin and death. Like, what is, what is that going to change for what we see? And, you know, I keep missing out on these awesome Northern Light shows. Like, I'm always sleeping early. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm getting older. But anyways, I'm like, I won't have to always miss those. I bet you the light shows are going to be spectacular. I wonder if we're going to see things that we can't even see now. What kind of animals are going to be there? Like, I was starting to go through, go through here and starting to read, like, the descriptions of the angels. Like, it seems like there's, like, different kinds of angels, kind of like different kinds of mammals, right? And you have some that are very, you know, they almost human-esque, and others, like wheels in multiple directions covered in eyes. And if you try to draw that out, you're like, that's actually terrifying. <laughs> yeah, terrifying. It is terrifying. And then you see pictures in the National Geographic of these creatures that come up from the deep, deep oceans. And it kind of is reminiscent of some of these angelic creatures and we've only been able to see them and you're like what else are we going to see no eye has seen no ear has heard and you're going to get to enjoy things without being marred by loss no more loss no more sin getting in the way have you ever oh i i hate that like sometimes you're trying to do a good thing and then in the middle of a good thing, you realize your self-centered motivations are coming out and you're doing it for yourself. And you're like, ah! Oh. That's all gone. It's all going to get burnt up by flames. Matters what we put our hope in. So you look in here, creation, fall. We're all broken and marred by sin. We're moving towards redemption. Jesus comes. There's forgiveness. New covenant starts. It hasn't been sealed yet. It's not complete. It's going to be complete at the second coming. Then we're going to go into a thousand-year reign. Like, think about Jesus coming down. He came down once, and then he went up. It says that he's going to come down the same way that he went up, in physical form. Imagine what that'll be like. It's going to be something else. New heavens, new earth. Now, why does this all matter? I'll tell you why. It matters for almost everything we do because what I think about where we came from and what I think about where we're going is going to influence that now, that red spot. And I don't know exactly where it is, but I am hoping, I just hope, oh, please, Lord, would you come back while I'm alive? I want to be here for that. Since Since I was a little kid, I've wanted to be here for the end. What a blessing that would be, amen? To be counted among those that, that, that he made for such a time as this to be there for the end, to be faithful witnesses for him when the darkest point of, of human history, what an honor and a privilege that would be. <laughs> Anyways, all of that impacts you now. What are you living for? Where's your hope? Are you, is your hope in trying to fix this world right now? Romans, uh, let's go back to scripture here. Whoop. Nope. Romans 13, 1-2. We heard this lots during COVID, remember? (laughs) Yeah, I know. And and a lot of people argued. We're not going to get into that now. But let every person be subject to governing authorities. And sometimes we were tempted to say things like, unless they are asking you to do something that you don't agree with. Forgetting that this was Paul writing to the Romans under the rule of Nero, who's considered to be one of the Antichrists. As bad as things may be with our prime minister, He is not one of the Antichrists. He is not Nero. Anyways, look what Paul is writing to them. This is actually weird. Think about it. For there is no authority except from God. Whoa, 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 Paul. Nero. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Are you letting the implications of that statement sink in? You know that you put your hope in the wrong things, you could very very easily find yourself fighting against God in his own name? 100% that's possible. Anyways, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Samuel Whitfield writes this, the apostles understood world redemption was connected to the establishment of the kingdom. So it's not not saying that we're not supposed to hope in something better. We are supposed to hope in something better. But we're supposed to, to recognize where that hope or that something better is supposed to come from. Anyhow, I'll go back to the quote here. The apostles understood world redemption was connected to the establishment of the kingdom. They longed to see Jesus bring an end to wicked empires. And because they were Jewish, they also had a specific longing to see Israel freed from Roman oppression. The apostles' deep desire for Israel's liberation makes their complete lack of interest in any kind of political kingdom surprising. I mean, they're waiting for the kingdom of heaven to be set up on this earth. They actually believe the Messiah is coming from their, from their bloodline. I mean, wouldn't you be tempted to take matters into your own hands? Like, these guys must have. They, they, they knew Jesus. He left. They're like the kingdom of God. We're going to just forceful men are going to take hold of it here, and we're going to force it to happen on the earth. And yet they didn't. Why? Why didn't they lead a revolution? Because even if that revolution had been successful, this kingdom has been given over to the kingdom of the beasts. We're in that dark ages until the second coming. You defeat one empire, another godless one rises up. The apostles didn't start a revolution to overthrow their oppressors. On the contrary, the early church, oddly enough, submitted to Rome as an empire established under God's leadership. It's like they read the word. It's like they understood something that we don't understand. And they did. They understand. They understood a biblical worldview. That's actually what they understood. Let's take a look here at, uh, their hope wasn't in this, see the now? I put a little hope. See, I added that up there. That one I did without Martin's help. Yeah, Martin will be proud of me whenever he sees this. That's the one part, my one contribution. Anyways, their hope wasn't in the now. See, if your hope is in the now, you're gonna fight tooth and nail. To to bring that kingdom in now. But you can't. And I'm not saying, so is social reform or financial reform or or healthcare reform, all these things, are they bad? We shouldn't try for them? No, I'm not saying that. We should should be always trying to make this earth a better place and to advance the gospel while we're doing it. Always. We should. Recognizing, though, that the ultimate hope is in what's coming. We're not going to be able to accomplish it or rush it here on this earth. So we should be busy making sure we're busy doing the kingdom work, not our own. You see the difference? It's kingdom work, not our own work. Hope has to be in the future. Okay, but this is what they understood. The the apostles understood the grand story. They understood this. They understood creation, who created it all. They understood all of the covenants. They understood all of the prophecies, the promises. God's promises of what was to come. They understood that. And because of that, then they understood what was coming. And because they understood what was coming, they behaved differently in the moment. Instead of leading a revolution against the government, they led a different kind of revolution. They began speaking up and saying, our God is greater. They led a different revolution. Instead of fighting against them, they laid down their lives before them. Look what it says in Daniel. This is what they will have understood. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Speaking of the tribulation. Look at this. It's saying that authority, kingdoms on this earth, will be given over to the worst, most wicked, evil ruler in history. For a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. They understood what was coming. Their hope was in what was coming. The Ancient of Days, that's what Jesus was called. Daniel saw the Ancient of Days. He saw the end of days. He saw the Ancient of Days. He saw him bringing down a kingdom that would be established, that he would sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. We should test ourselves to make sure that our hope is in the right things. So that when tribulation comes, because if He's a promise maker, He's a promise keeper, He has said, in this world you will have tribulation, to different levels. This is speaking of the final tribulation, which could happen in our lifetime, our kids' lifetime, easily. Very, 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 very easily. But even without that tribulation, all of us experience tribulation. You think living in the Middle East right now, you're not experiencing tribulation? That probably is equal to anything that's going to happen in the final three and a half years? It's just a weird thought to us because we're in the West. Men and women all over the earth experience tribulation today, right now. It matters what we put our hope in. Right? The apostles would not fight the kingdom of the beast of men with swords. Rather, they would lay down their lives and proclaim the kingdom of God was at hand. That is what John the Baptist then modeled. That is what Jesus modeled. The apostles modeled what they saw the Lord Jesus do. He submitted himself underneath the authority of men while proclaiming that the gospel of the kingdom was at hand repent right all right let's close this up for today we'll come back to this right hope equals living for the king and his kingdom that is what it equals if you have the right hope this is what this is the fruit you're going to see in your life you will be living for your king which is visible and you will be living for his kingdom which is visible that's visible fruit that you will see on the inside that will tell you what you're living for is not that a wonderful thing that he gives you something visible that you can see to test yourselves. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 11, by the way, and 12, which I was reading earlier, if you go a little bit before 12, where it talks about the final warning, he actually gives the fruit that you can test for if you're not remaining in the face. And you know what it is? Pervasive sin. Accepting of sin. We're seeing that in the culture. I just read about it. I won't say that here this morning. But, anyways... Accepting of sinful attitudes and behaviors, pervasive sin in our lives, those are things that are, we are supposed to watch out for and turn from with all earnestness in our heart and mind. So, look at this, therefore do not be anxious. Oh, look at this, Anx- anxiety and hope, again, linked. Isn't that interesting how the, how the Scriptures do that? I'm not saying they're necessarily opposites of each other, like dichotomies, but certainly you see it in Scripture, and certainly it makes sense when you see they're both future-oriented. But do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what the Bible teaches as the, as, as the answer to anxiety. Don't do this. That means you're worried about today and the fearful expectation of what's to come. That, it is still looking forward, but the Bible encourages us to look even further forward. Don't be short-sighted. Short-sightedness leads to anxiety. Look at what's coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of God is coming. We're going to go into a whole new age. And I am so excited. You've no idea how pumped I was to preach this message today. I am so excited for the age to come. Anyways, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. (laughs) I love that, eh? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what do we keep ourselves busy doing? Here we go. Look, this is living for the king and his kingdom. Proclaim the coming kingdom. Share the gospel. That is one thing. Proclaim the coming kingdom. And I stole some of these words from Sam Whitfield's book. I just changed them a bit for my purposes here. Invite as many people as possible. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is free. However, citizenship is free, but warn judgment is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and train people to live according to the values of their new king and his kingdom. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he's calling us to live. That's the the opposite of being anxious for today and putting all your hope in today and the problems surrounding tomorrow and the next day. He says, don't live for today. Live for what's coming. Live for me. Live for the kingdom. Live for the restoration of all things. And yes, in this world you will have trouble. And yes, you will have tribulation. And yes, even the best marriages and the best friendships will be marred by loss and grief. And in those times, you need to get close to Jesus because yoke yourself to him because he knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows the sting of loss, his desires that none should perish. He will bear that burden with you. But then put your hope in what's coming and then get busy proclaiming the coming kingdom. Inviting as many people as possible Because if they don't accept citizenship into into his kingdom judgment is coming and that moves on to the warning That's why Jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and Then train equip people to live according to the values of their king and kingdom You know when we get our hope placed in the right place on Jesus second coming where he will destroy evil, restore our bodies back to life, heal our hearts forever, judge the living and the dead, renew the earth, renew the heavens. Then we will live as the disciples lived. That's it. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture, and then we're going to close with a special song leading into Pentecost. Spirit, lead me, I can't wait. I want to close, if you want, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to read from Revelation 21. Lord, before I even read, we just come before you and we recognize Holy Spirit that, I think of the disciples before the Holy Spirit, the disciples after. Lord, the the Spirit can be willing, but our flesh is weak. Lord, I don't know that we even, we don't even know how to get our hope and anxiety off of the things of this world. We're stuck. But this is what your word said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. anxiety no more, depression no more, brokenness no more, sin no more, loss no more. There will be no more mourning or crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for the words are trustworthy and true. It is done. That's the finality of what's coming. It is done, it's already done. Just hasn't come into being yet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. If you can open your eyes, you'll see these handouts little devotional tool. I'm going to invite you to something because really what we need to do now is prepare our hearts for the kingdom. And it's more than just hearing a message. We have to respond. Amen? So this is the response that we've prepared, and you can join if you want to. You don't have to. It's more if you want to, but there's a devotional tool here. I didn't put this together. (laughs) Chris and Jocelyn did a wonderful job on this. But uh, we're going to do a seven-day devotional, and you'll see the, the days listed here. And uh, Tuesday to Thursday, we are going to fast together. And we're going to fast. You'll see the prayer points. We're going to fast and pray for personal repentance from sin or lack of obedience. Where have we placed our hope? We're going to fast and pray for Israel to know and love God. Because all of the promises in here are centered around Israel. Not us. Israel. We're grafted in. (laughs) So we want to see God restore His people. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're also gonna pray and fast for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Southland and the Western Church. And then lastly, that's gonna move into that the Lord would wake us up so that we would get ready for what's to come. Amen? All right, you'll see there's a verse on here that we're gonna memorize as well. And then one last thing, I'm gonna invite you. There's, well, there's two things, really. The Global Gathering, Pastor Ray has done this, I think three years in a row, no, two. This'll be the third, right? Yep, at nine o'clock this Thursday, you can come in the auditorium or online and he is going to be addressing what is going on and what's happening in the world and how the church needs to get ready for what's next. And I would encourage you, if you can make it, to come, you're invited to come, just show up here at nine, sitting here, he'll be doing it. And uh, that's gonna be a good time as well on Wednesday from 12 to one. Uh, we're gonna have live prayer and worship. We're gonna fast, have worship and prayer together in the prayer room. And then lastly, and then we're gonna sing the song together. I'd encourage you, at least at one point from two, you know this week, Come, do, come into the prayer room. I've, I've kind of been praying and thinking about it like the upper room. You know how Jesus instructed them to go in the upper room? And he said to wait. And uh, just in, in symbolic gesture towards that, I would encourage you to come to the prayer room at some point, whether it's Wednesday or not, and just sit in there and meet with Jesus and ready your heart for the kingdom. Amen. <laughs>